Ephesians 3 and verse 8, and I'm going to read through verse uh, 12. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are for your glory. Let's pray over the word as we receive it today. Father, I thank you for the truth that we get to hold in our lap. God, that your word is alive and it's active and it's working in us and through us and for us today. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead us into all truth as we gather around it together and worship over it, giving you thanks and thanksgiving for all that you've done. And we thank you for these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So it is Thanksgiving week. And all of us have gone to a Thanksgiving at one time or another with people that we weren't familiar with, right? You know, maybe it was when you were uh, dating someone or uh, you went to a part of your spouse's family that you had never been to before. Maybe it was just a part of your family uh, that you had never been around, never had contact with, and you show up. Uh, you're trying to figure out what's going on in this household, right? Who is who? Who's, who's doing what? How, how is the chemistry and everything in this household working? Have you ever gone with your spouse and then you get in the car after that and you're leaving and you're like, so who was the lady who was standing by the kitchen? Like, is that, she's with uncle, uncle so-and-so and okay, and their kids are who? You're trying to figure out who they are. And even if you're not doing that in conversation, you're figuring it out in your own mind. It's like, okay, you know, you're the one that gets here late. Or, okay, you're the one that gets to bring uh, ice and plates. You get asked to bring the ice and the plates. Uh, you're the one uh, who always stays outside and never comes inside. You know, you're just trying to figure out how is this household administrated. You've seen these videos where they'll go around to different members of the family at a Thanksgiving or a Christmas and say, hey, Uncle so-and-so, if, if I brought somebody new to Thanksgiving, who, what member of the family is it that you would warn them about? And they're like, Leslie. And then they go to the next one, like, who would you warn them about? And they go, Leslie. And then they finally get to Leslie. And she goes like, Aunt Tammy. And like, everybody knows it's you, Leslie. You know, and you want to see who that is at the end. Why aren't we warning them about Leslie? You know, but, but you just have that. How is this household administrated? How does this all work? And one of the things that Paul is doing for us here in Ephesians chapter 3 is he's given us another glimpse into the household of God and how it works and how it is administrated. You know, last week we talked about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is powerful enough to union, bring into union Jews and Gentiles with Christ Jesus and with one another. And we see that played out in the lives of first an individual and then they affect a family and a family affects a community and a communities affect a nation. And we see that that is how the gospel spreads. And we are called after once we've received that revelation of that mystery, 
we're also commissioned to carry it elsewhere with us, to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ wherever we are and wherever we go. Because we are those that have been redeemed. We are those that have been restored. And then today we're going to see a little bit more of redeemed from what, restored to what. Uh, Paul says in verse 8, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. The incalculable or unfathomable riches of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Now that's a little bit of a paradox, right? Because you're telling something that can't be understood. You're telling something that, that's incalculable or is infinite and you're trying to do that. And he says, Thanks, thankfully, I've been given grace to do that. He calls himself the least of all the saints. You can see his humility there that even though he's been given this amazing message to preach, he knows that it's not him, but that it's from God. He said, this grace is given to me, the least of all the saints. And we know that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And he says in verse nine, and I'm to also shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. To shed light on or to turn the light on, to cast light on the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And that word administration in the Greek is literally the management of a household. How a household is Managed. He said this administration of the mystery hidden for ages. Remember, we talked about that last week. It was hidden before. It's now been revealed. It's been hidden in God. God who created all things. And right there quickly, all things is important that he said that because this means we're talking about God the most high. He was in an area uh, or speaking to an area there in Ephesus that, that would have been familiar with many gods. He's like, this is what we're talking about and clearly defining our terms. God most high, the God that created all things, heaven and earth and everything in them. He created all things. He is uncreated and the creator of all things. And we talked about why it's important to define our terms. When we use that word G-O-D, God, it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. And we need to make sure we're talking about the same thing and the right thing. And Paul is desiring to be specific there in verse nine. When he talks about this administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. The administration of the mystery. Remember, mystery is not a puzzle that you're trying to solve, at least not this use of the word. It is uh, something that was covered that has been uncovered. Something that was veiled that has been uncovered. Veiled. He said in verse, remember in verse five and six, he said, this was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. What was the mystery that the Gentiles are co-heirs 
members of the same body and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That the Gentiles are co-heirs, co-members and partners. Again, these are household terms. And in verse 10, he says, this is so this administration of the mystery hidden for ages. This is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. God's multifaceted or manifold or multi-part wisdom revealed through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavens. And so he's, again, he's teaching us about the household of God and how it's administrated. Now, what do we know about the household of God and how does it play into what we're reading here? Again, he created all things. We know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hebrews 11 told us that it's by faith that we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. If we went to Genesis chapter one, we would see that the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And in that formlessness and void, he began to form. And then when he what he formed, he also filled. Right. And he created in this new creation mankind. Male and female, he created them as a prince, as a regent, as an agent of his kingdom in this new creation. But mankind wasn't the first one created with that type of role. We weren't the first thing created because the animals and stuff came first. But we weren't the one created with that prince and regent role in God's good Creation. The book of Job tells us that when God, the creator, laid the cornerstone of the earth or the first stone of the earth that the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. So when the earth was created, somebody, the sons of God, were shouting for joy. That's Job 38, 6 and 7 if you wanted to look at it. Mankind was created for a purpose and for fellowship. And there was a race that preceded us that was created for similar reasons. When we see this in verse 10, these rulers and authorities in the heavens, this is who this is referring to. That word authority is, is the word arche. It, it means to rule over an area. We, we've heard that word principality, uh, an area that a prince would rule. Okay. An authority over an area. Now, we don't know as much about these sons of God, maybe, as we would like to know. But we know enough. We, we know about them from reading the scripture. What we do know is that there was a rebellion. What we do know is that there were some that turned against God, the most high, to their judgment. Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, speaking about a key figure in that rebellion, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, that word Satan, that's not necessarily his name. That's a word that means in the Hebrew adversary. If you re anybody remember the story about Balaam and his donkey, 
The donkey starts talking and he whips the donkey and the donkey's like, why are you whipping me? And then an angel presents himself in the road ahead of Balaam and the donkey. It says there in the book of Numbers when it's talking about Balaam and that story, it said the angel set himself as an adversary in the road against Balaam. And that word adversary is... Satan. That doesn't mean that that angel was the figure that we call Satan. What it means is that word means adversary, one who opposes, which makes sense when Jesus told Peter, when Peter was trying to tell Jesus he wasn't going to go to the cross. What did he tell him? Get behind me, Satan. You're you're not going to be my adversary today. You're not going to block my path today. Now, the chronology of this rebellion is not clear in Scripture. We don't know when it actually happened, but we know it at least happened prior to or right there in God's good creation of the garden. And we know that he was not alone in his rebellion, but that other others followed him. This enemy, our enemy, Satan, the devil, the devil means accuser or slanderer. We've heard that he's the accuser of the brethren. And then when it was presented to Eve and Adam in the garden, what was presented? Did God really say this? You don't need to listen to him. You need to listen to me. You need to trust me. You need to follow me. And then you will be like him. You will be like God, the most high. Individuals of this elder race turned against God, the most high to their judgment. And then they corrupted mankind out of jealousy because mankind was created to be the regent and the prince over the earth. God's new creation, the one that they shouted about when he made it and they thought it was so awesome. And then jealousy entered into their hearts. And they corrupted man, led man to corruption, which was to our shame. When we should have dispatched the rebels, instead we joined them in their rebellion. Mankind should have been a vessel of God most high, his authority, his goodness, his kingdom at work in the earth. The dispensation of his will amongst his creation, that's what we should have been a vessel for, but instead became a vessel for evil and for chaos. And you see that played out. You see what that looks like. You can see that on the news. We see what that looks like when man becomes a vessel for evil and chaos and uses the dominion that he has for evil. We were created for fellowship and purpose, and they were both broken and corrupted. And when I was studying this and looking into this, uh, there was a scripture for that that came to my heart and mind. And it was a story that Jesus told in Luke 15. And it's one you're familiar with. And it's one we've talked about a lot. It's about a man who had two sons. And the youngest son said, I want my inheritance. What is yours that that you've said I can rule over? I want it all and I want it now. And he took his inheritance That was meant to be him carrying on his father's lineage and legacy and his father's kingdom. He took it 
And we know that he would have had to have sold it, right? Because his inheritance would have been in tents and servants and, and animals. It wouldn't have been necessarily in just bags of gold coins. So he took it and he sold it. And then he took the money that he gained from selling his birthright and his inheritance and he spent it on wild and foolish living. We know the story, right? And he ended up in poverty in a foreign land under the employ, under the dominion of a citizen of that foreign land. Remember, he was working when the, he was working with the pigs. He was working for a swine herd and he was starving. And he looked at even what the pigs are eating. And he was like, these pigs are eating, but I'm not eating anything. I want to eat what they're eating. And I can't imagine what they were eating was any good. And at the end of his rebellion, he longed for his father's house. Remember this, what, what we're seeing here, what we're talking about today is how is a household administrated? It's about household stewardship, the incalculable riches of Christ in the light of the mystery. And when he came all the way to the end of his rebellion, the end of himself, he longed for his father's House and, and he returned and he repented and he said, I've, I've sinned against you, Father, and I don't deserve to be back here. But, but just let me be a servant in your house. But the father, filled with compassion, threw his arms around him, kissed him on the cheek, put a robe on him to cover him, put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. This is an example of the incalculable riches of Christ Jesus. Because as we'll see when we get to Advent, that Christ became like one of us so that he could face the adversary on our behalf. Again, this accuser, this slanderer, the devil, so he could face him on our behalf. Because man who had dominion on the earth had ceded his authority to the evil one. But there was a mystery that was hidden for ages in God that was about to be revealed. When Christ went into the wilderness, remember, he went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. By the leader of the rebellion And I'm sure he thought this will be the Edenic temptation all over again. I'll just lay it in front of him and go, why would you trust him when you can trust me? Why would you follow him when you could follow me? Why would you want to be with him when you could be with me? But where we failed the test, Christ succeeded. He would not be swayed and the son of God would not rebel, but he would obey. He would obey even to the point of death even to the point of death on the cross where he died for our sins and was raised. Scripture says for our justification or to take the wrong off of us to make it just as if I had never sinned. And then we know that God most high exalted him, the son and gave him a name that's above every name, a throne that's above every throne. That he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And why would you use that justification unless there were other folks that were trying to jockey for the position? 
And thankfully, Romans tells us he was able to be just and punish sin and also be the justifier of many. This is the message and the mystery that Paul was proclaiming to the Gentiles that he references in verse eight and nine. The message to the prodigals who in who in Adam had squandered their inheritance and had abdicated their authority, had given away what they were supposed to be ruling over and ended up under the employ of an unjust ruler in a distant land. Now, you know, he's unjust because he didn't even feed him. He didn't give him anything. That the prodigals can come home to the father, filthy and dirty, they can come home and receive a robe, a covering, a, a robe of righteousness, not that they earned, but that Christ paid for and gave to them. They get a ring on their finger. The ring would, would uh, symbolize a, a signet, a seal, which meant what? Authority. And it also says he put sandals on his feet and it's not clear, but I read that as commission. I'm going to put these on you because you got stuff you need to be doing. You're not just going to be sitting at the house with your feet up. You're going to have sandals on your feet because there's work to be done. You're stepping back into the role that you should have been in the whole time, which is a vessel of the kingdom and doing the work of the father. There's one more character in that story, right? The older brother, the elder brother, the one who was there in closer to the household than the younger brother. And what did the father tell him at the end of that story? He said, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's Found. Scripture says that the angels look curiously over into what he has done for mankind, what God most high has done for mankind, whether they're the ones that are in his uh, in his kingdom or the ones who rail against it. They're looking curiously over into what is going on, because the elder brother in that story, he's like, I, I'm having trouble wrapping my mind around this. He said it was a mystery even to them. And that's why it's being proclaimed through the church. He, God is making his multifaceted wisdom now known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. What was hidden has now been revealed. Look at verse 11. This is according to his, God most high's eternal purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What was the purpose? To bring mankind back into relationship and purpose with him. The ones who had been lost to these other, some people call them gods, the, the, these other divine beings, the, these divine rebels who turned their back on God most high to reclaim mankind, redeem and restore from the hands of the enemy into the kingdom of his son. The restoration of the image bearers and the restoration of the fellowship. Amen. And it says this is the church that he's he's through the church 
proclaiming his multifaceted or manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. Again, reestablishing my plan will go forth. My kingdom will come. My will, it will be done. And it's going to be done through the ones that I created to carry it out. They tried to corrupt mankind. Well, they can't have it if they're corrupt. You you can't do anything with them. If they're sinners, look at them. Aren't they awful? What are you going to do now? But there was a mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. That Christ would come and be just and the justifier of many. Amen. They turned from God Almighty, these rebels. To their judgment and they do await their judgment. It is sure and is certain and believers will play their part in and their role in that final judgment. They turned their back on him to their judgment. We were corrupted by sin to our shame. But Christ turned toward us. Rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, pursued us in our rebellion while we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly so that we could turn back to him and return home like the young man in the story. This is how the household is administrated. This is who's who in the household of God. And it matters, right? It matters. And he says that the way he's going to do this, he's going to preach the incalculable riches of Christ to the Gentiles and shed light about the administration of the mystery for all this mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. is so God's multifaceted wisdom may be made known through the church, bringing back in those image bearers of God, those who will carry authority in the earth, not to do what they want to do, but to bring about his kingdom and his authority from the heavens to the earth. And it's being preached to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. See, this is the way that it's going to work. This is what is going to be done. Amen. So as we as we finish up today, I want us to uh, take communion together here. Thanksgiving week. Um, Caleb, will you help me? Shiloh, will you help? And as they're serving, I want to encourage you, again, with it being Thanksgiving week, we talked about earlier, it's not Thanksgiving for everybody. Um, And and we can make it not be Thanksgiving for us. That example comes about from, you know, you can go out on Thursday and there's going to be people going about their normal day, that it's not a special day for them. But you can go about your day and your week without actually being thankful. You, you can be very busy and your time be very occupied without actually spending time 
uh, moments in your heart between you and God the Father being thankful. One of the greatest condemnations in Scripture is in Romans chapter 1 when it talks about God's wrath is poured out on who? It talks about the ones, the unrighteous ones. What did they do? They didn't acknowledge God, nor were they thankful. They didn't acknowledge Him as what? As God Almighty, God Most High, nor were they thankful. So as we're going through this week and thinking through all the things that he's done for us that we could otherwise look over. We don't want to get caught up in the busyness. We don't want to jump ahead to Christmas. Christmas is coming. It'll be here. You have already put your tree up. That's fine. But don't miss Thanksgiving and and mainly don't miss that attitude of thankfulness. Right? Right? Because thankful people are happier people. If you want to enjoy this week more, spend time with him being thankful. We got so much to be thankful for, right? We have, I read it in Psalms. That was Psalms 107 that we read at the beginning of service. He, he rescued us from the foe. He rescued us from the enemy, the one that still does want to take you down to the absolute bottom to try to shame your creator. That's his goal. That's his desire. That's what he would like to do because he thinks it's going to push him forward. It's going to put off his final judgment if he can keep the church and the believers down, fractured, or heaven forbid, in their sin. But we had a champion that came looking like one of us. The word of God incarnate put on flesh so that he could come and be the sacrifice that we needed. The key to unlock our freedom and restore us to life in him and with him to all who would come, to all who would hear, to all who would receive. Remember, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. All things have been created new. We've got so much to be thankful for. Your life's not going to be perfect. You, you can look and go, well, life's not perfect. I got this problem and this problem and this problem. Yeah, you, you do. There's still some things out there that we've got to get worked out. There's still some things out there that are going to have to get reconciled to and under Christ. But man, we're not where we used to be. Even if it's just that peace in your heart and in your mind, knowing that you are found in Christ Jesus and you stand in his righteousness and not your own, that you've been saved by grace through faith and not of works, lest anybody could boast or glory in themselves. Amen. So today we're going to partake uh, communion. You may have already opened up. I'm going to take just a second here if you want to get both of your elements ready. And again, this is not... Uh, There's nothing profound about the elements. What's profound is the observance. Jesus said, as often as you do this, he meant it, I think, as often as you gather around the table, remember me. Honor me. Let it roll up in worship to me when you've got. Think about that when you sit down at Thanksgiving this year, all the things that you get to enjoy. Don't let it terminate there. And we're like, I really like, you know, Aunt Betty's green bean casserole. That's fine. We can love that. We can like that. But let it roll up to him like, thank you for this. You didn't have to make this taste good, but you made it taste good. 
You didn't have to have me here breathing ambulatory, sitting up, able to spend time with my family and my friends and and just have my soul refreshed by that. You didn't have to do that, but you did. You woke me up this morning. You didn't have to do it. There's so much that we can be thankful for. Amen. So, Father, as we approach your table, you said that you would always be there with us. And, Father, I believe even uh, further than that, when when we approach the communion table and and we hold these elements in our hands and these images in our heart and our mind, we're we're actually with you because we are seated in the heavens in Christ Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, where uh, Christ is there. We will be also. Father, I thank you that it's because of the body and the blood of which we hold an image in our hand that we can speak to you on any type of peaceable terms. We'd have been your enemy otherwise. In our sin, we would have been far from you and rebels against your throne. But we thank you for the bread that Christ took and said, this is my body, which is given for you. I thank you that we had uh, someone who was worthy. We had one who was worthy and also willing, who gave his body for us so that we could be with you. And I thank you for that as we partake of the bread together this morning. Father, we take the cup just as Christ took the cup off the table and says, this is the cup of the new covenant. He said it was in his blood. I thank you for that blood that we read about in Ephesians, that we who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. I thank you that where we read it said we have redemption by his blood. Thank you, Lord, that you came because we stood here in flesh and blood. You shared in flesh and blood with us so that you could defeat the one who held the power of death. That is the devil. And free all of us who all our lives had been held captive to the fear of death. I thank you, Lord. We fear it no longer because of the cup he held. And the one that he drank from, the one that he said, if there be any other way for this cup to pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Father, I thank you that he was speaking of that great mystery that was hidden in ages in you. God, you created all things and you knew that we would need a redeemer. You knew we would need a savior. And I thank you. He did not resist, but obeyed even to the point of shedding his own blood on the cross. I thank you that his sacrifice was sufficient and you proved that by raising him from the dead on the third day and he ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of God Almighty. And there he stays and makes intercession for us. We thank you that there's a new covenant between us and you. It needed to be made new, just like we needed to be made new. There's a new covenant between us and you because of Christ's precious blood. And we thank you for it as we partake together in Jesus' name.
we thank you. We thank you for new life. We thank you for peace between us and you by Christ Jesus. And we thank you for the grace in which we stand. You open the door to us by faith and we stand in your grace. And I thank you that we shine. That we shine as a testimony to men and to angels that you are God the Most High and you'll do what you said you would do. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen.